Welcome, welcome, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the inside with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as every week, we have our two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hello, guys. Hey there. How's it going? Football or soccer? N neither. Football. Like, like American <laughs> football, Paul? No, that's just how I describe the game of kicking a black and white ball down a field. I refer to it as football. <laughs> Canadian is very European in that sense. Right. In which senses are Canadian not European? <laughs> uh, the prairies is much more like the prairies of the U.S. It's true. True. That, I mean, you could even argue that that's Mongolian. Yeah, that's true. Right. <laughs> yep. we, we built. We built nothing for hundreds of miles. <laughs> Welcome to our prairies. <laughs> fields after fields after fields. So uh, I believe it's FIFA week, right? Like FIFA right. month. I don't know how long FIFA goes on. World Cup. I, I know. World FIFA, Cup, yes. FIFA Whatever. all year round. Whatever. <laughs> you, you can see how much I care about this. I only know two things about the World Cup currently. One, um, it's criminal that they built it in Qatar mm -hmm. and killed so many slaves to build the, the stadiums. Uh, and two, the Japanese fans cleaned up the stadium without it even being their game, which I thought was one of the coolest things I've seen. For all the negative stuff I've seen attached to FIFA and the World Cup lately, watching the Japanese fans go through the stadium with trash bags and clean up someone else's game was pretty cool. Hmm. Interesting. I haven't seen that. I heard the other part, but I didn't see that. Yeah, I'm a little... Uh, like I. I I'm not a soccer fan, so I, I kind of think my opinion shouldn't matter. At the same time, I, I am still a human, and FIFA is such a corrupt organization. It really should be closed, shuttered, and everyone that works in administration of FIFA should no longer be able to work in any professional sport in any capacity ever. I mean, even amateur sports, I think they shouldn't be able to work in. Like, if the head of FIFA gets, gets fired and banned from professional sports and decides he wants to manage his kids, like, eight and under soccer league, he should be banned from that, too. <laughs> it is a fair and true statement there is a really good netflix documentary on the depths of fifa and how how far the corruption has gone from its inception including the qatar and the russia uh yeah world cups yeah it's pretty rough right yep originally it was supposed to be in the summer <laughs> so imagine winning in Doha, in a city in 130 degree Fahrenheit, uh, with none of the stadiums built, none of the infrastructure to house anybody, not enough hotel rooms to support the fans, <laughs> and yet still winning against the United States, against Japan, against England, who clearly sure. already have the appropriate infrastructure for a World Cup. Yeah. I'm going to say at least Russia had the infrastructure, even though it was an inappropriate place to go. Sure. Yeah. They liken it to, you know, Nazi Germany winning the, the Olympics in 19, whenever it was, 32. Yeah. So, so I found that interesting. So, so uh, Jesse Owens um, absolutely hated effectively the u.s administration um after the olympics because you know he's he, he swept a whole bunch of events right. and he said even hitler who who hated blacks and hated the jews and pretty much hated everybody came up and shook his hand and his own president wouldn't shake his hand mm. that's interesting no that's criminal that's the excitement of I mean, the it's, Olympics. It's not to the it's not to the, the criminal level of the you know Qatar and FIFA in today's day and age, right? But right. but it is it is still criminal. It is still you know like like dudes set world records that that couldn't be touched in a dozen events or however many events he set them in. He right. at least deserves a handshake. Go mm. you know like if it, if it really bothers you that bad, you know use a wipe. But he deserves right. a handshake. He deserves some freaking respect. Yeah, and to not give the man respect is ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Especially and, since he know, was there on your behalf, right there on the country. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, right. Correct. He's part of the U.S. Olympic team. Like you know, yeah. it's ridiculous. So, how do we look at that from a 
from an executive leadership position when we have people that that say they may be doing great things, but you're not in agreement with something that they do. No, but this isn't in agreement with what they do, right? I mean, the, the Jesse Owens things is, thing is who he is, right? Well, or, or who um, the person is. And so, so I think that's a really big, I think that's a really big problem in leadership, right? I think our, I think bias is a pretty big issue in leadership, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, this is, a, this is a time of reflection. It's a time of, of community, right? Thanksgiving in the U.S. and, and Thanksgiving recently in, in uh, the Great White North. And, uh, and the upcoming Christmas holiday should give us some, some time with family and some time with those we consider family and allow us to reflect on community. Um, and it, it's probably not a bad idea, right, to, to take a few minutes and think about, did you act honorably this year? Did you act ethically this year? Did you act to overcome your biases, right? Mm -hmm. Anyone that says they're not biased in any way is, is smoking something or selling a bridge or running for office, right? In other words, they're just lying. Um, the fact is we're all, we're all baked with biases and, and, you know, some of them we can get over and some of them we can't, and we really should work to get over as many of them as we possibly can and at least address the ones we can. Right. Um, when you look around your kind of leadership, does it, does it look like a reflection of you? Right. Um, could you swap someone for someone else and not notice the change? In which case you probably have some bias going on there. Right. You know what I mean? If everyone has the same accent, if everyone speaks the same way, if everyone speaks the same first language, if everyone's the same color, if everyone's the same gender, if everyone sees themselves as the same gender, right? If you have no, if you have 12 people that report to you that are part of your, your kind of leadership group and you don't have anyone that, that identifies as uh, LBGTQ+, probably some work to do on your part, mm -hmm. right? And, and I'll admit it's entirely reasonable that there's no one fit for the role within the organization. But have you ever thought about it, right? Yeah. Have, you, have, you, have you ever gone to HR and said, hey, HR, stop giving me the same people. Give me some diversity. It, it is interesting. I had a dinner with a dozen CIO CTOs last night. Uh, and just talking about sort of the pain and sacrifice and fun and enjoyment of the role. Um, and there was three themes that came out through the entire three hours. So theme number one, uh, culture is harder to build, harder than it ever has been to build within an organization. Agreed. That diversity is a problem and we haven't figured out how to solve it. Agreed. And lastly, there was not one CIO in the room that said, there's somebody on my team that could take over for me. That there is a gap significant gap and in fact it's growing between my direct reports or sending anyone else in it and someone who could do my job for two reasons one um there's not enough direct influence in encouraging people to take on that role and two the role of cio has changed so dramatically in the last five years it's hard for anybody to catch up let alone the cio to catch up and those three factors has been the, what do I do next year? What do I do the following year? Given what seems to be an impossible task. Your thoughts on those three? Okay. So the first one was culture. First one, call, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah. so I think it's, I think the, the one thing work from home has really done is damaged any concerted attempt at building culture that, that started before or relied on assumptions from the before time, right? Right. Like so much of building a culture relies on people seeing each other as, as an extended community or just a community, much less an extended community. And that's gone with work from home. Right. Right. Um, before work from home, I, I, I never saw the attitude expressed online. Just let me do my job and don't talk to me. And now I see, I won't work anywhere that they won't just let me do my job and not talk to me. Right. Um, which I find bizarre. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 I don't see I see more comments of leave me alone and let me do my job than I do. I miss the community that I got when I was in the office. Right. Um, and, and frankly, that's our, that's been our biggest community as as humans for the last like 40 years. 
right? The people we see in the office is our most tactile community because we've, we've right. broken the neighborhoods, right? Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've I've no known my neighbor. Right. I know the person who lives there and I like him and I, I know the person that lives there and they're just okay. And the person that lives across the streets, a Republican crazy person. <laughs> like during election season, it looks like a bunch of racist pinatas broke on their lawn and stuck signs in the ground. Like it's the, it's, it's horrible. Um, right. And I don't really like two doors down, they own the Indian food restaurant, but they're not very personable. And, and then I, I really don't know anybody else. Right. Um, and that's not, unique to me. Like my neighbors don't know any of the neighbors other than, you know, the few they know. And, <clears throat> and that's just kind of the way neighborhoods are. Right. I, I have no friends that are like, no, no, no. Like we do, we do block parties and know everybody. Right. Right. Um, the diff, the, the one exception is those that have, that have small children tend to know those in the neighborhood with other small children. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, but once the kids don't play together anymore, then that's gone. And people don't buy a house and live in it forever anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Like our parents they, bought a house every and then, two years. yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they move every two to five years, right? Um, I yeah. want to say the average in the U.S. is five years. But, it's got to be less than five years. Five is a long, seems like a long time. Well, but there's still a lot of people that, you know, are That's just true. buying and, and banking their houses, right? So so average, probably. It probably changes based on the demographic. Like, right, sure. You know, sub, yeah. sub 30 is three years, you know. 30 to 35 is two years, 35 to four, you know, like it probably depends. Right. And then, and then it also depends on wh- what age the children are because you don't want to pull them from school to school. Okay. But, but nonetheless, right. Um, that means that the lasting, the most lasting relationships we have and most constant are those we develop in the office and that helps us build culture. And that helps us, that helps us get exposed to diverse perspectives. Even if the perspectives still come from people that, that look like us, they still tend to be more diverse than we find online, right? Mm-hmm. And now all we have is online and online is nothing but echo. It's endless echo chambers as far as the mouse can find, right? Um, which is the worst possible thing. And then, you know, you spend eight hours in an echo chamber. What, are, how are you going to build a culture to overcome, to bring people together to overcome that when it's, it's still a virtual thing? And really it's not a virtual thing that I chose. Right. Right. It's the virtual thing that was chosen for me. Yeah, is that so that we can change as leaders, or is that something that the company need to decide? Like, let's say one leader, an executive, can they start, even though their company may not be doing it, can they start implementing or making those changes to bring their direct reports into a better culture and then influence the rest? Uh, no, no, but that's the problem, right? Is is the definition of culture has to change. And I think that's the big problem is we don't really know, like society, there's not, there's not enough good research that says this is how you overcome that, right? There's not enough research that says this is what the long-term effects of this is, or this is what the real change is, um, right? It's all, it's all anecdotal at this point, right? It's all, it's all a thousand points of light saying we see the same thing, but not real research being done to say this is what it is, this is what the damage, and this is how you overcome it. And so there aren't really good guide. There's not really good guidance on how to overcome it. There's a bunch of thoughts, right? But there's not any real good guidance on how to overcome it. And and ultimately, I think that's part of the problem is to build a culture. We have to we have to do it using rules that have been established. And all there are no current rules for this, right? So we're all just kind of guessing. Are there things you can do? Sure. Um, are there things that you could do that will work? Maybe. Are you know? But what works for one person? isn't necessarily likely to work for another. Like that's the thing. There's no real blueprint yeah. where before there like was a definite one, blueprint. One could top down constraints slash guardrails and influence, right? I can say, here are the principles of the organization. Here's what's acceptable and not acceptable. That's the guardrails, right? And then your influence is say, well, I'm going to walk the walk. I'm going to treat people this way. And therefore the expectation is people treat people this way. Whether it's how I treat customers, how I treat employees, how I treat anything, right? That won't create culture. That's just creating Correct. the walls to which, you know, it's creating the rules to say, the, are you on boundaries? Board, right. We're setting boundaries. That's what we're exactly doing. what what it doesn't do is change the mindset of the employees who have moved from this is my thirty-five year career to this is my job for now. Yes, and and since we've been doing a lot of corporate restructuring recently in fact the last decade corporate restructuring and they've had 15 bosses in the last 15 months that 
there's very few allegiances that actually get built both with your manager and with the company. Right. So now you have a loosey goosey relationship between the employee and the company, loosey goosey relationship between the employee and the manager and not a long-term foundational sort of stability in the employee to stay with that company. So now you have effectively loosey goosey culture, which Correct. is very hard to overcome. Yeah. It's hard to establish a culture when you see people in person for, for moments, not hours, right. Per week, not per day. Right. And the company does nothing to say they wish to retain people long term. Right. The first thing we did to say we wanted to retain people long term, we gave them a freaking pension. Right. Pensions are dead and gone. There's no corporate pensions anymore. Right. Even the pensions that do exist exist in kind of in kind of larger union organizations that are outside the U.S. Like like you get a pension in the U.K., but that's because they have a workers union. Right. We don't have that in the U.S. And so, so okay, so that first thing went away. So no one, so there's no real motivator to have me stay at the same company for 20 years. Right. There's not, never really been one for 10 years. The only thing that really exists is stock options. And those are done on a three-year cycle. Right. So three years is considered long. And the expectation is once you get, once your initial stock vests, you're leaving. Right. And right? what percentage of employees actually get that? <laughs> Small. Sure. Sure. And I'm sorry, it's four years for, for most, not three, my bad. Like Amazon's really four years. Um, and, and so is most of Fang. Um, but, but that's not a long time, right? And the yeah. expectation is most people won't achieve it. The expectation is I can keep tech workers for 18 months to two years, right? And, and we're actually taught now that if they stay longer than two years, I have to question whether that's my A-team, whether they're actually hypos. Right, whether they're high performers, because my high performers are on that eighteen months to two year track, and and we do nothing to to stop it. We do nothing to shortcut it. We do nothing to say no, 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 no. Those are the exact people I want to retain. I'm going to keep them, and this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And 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 then on top of it, we have to build a culture with people who we're now expecting to be there for two years, who are motivated by by a trajectory that's impossible to maintain. Because nobody has that number of openings, right? I can't move everyone into a VP role. I don't have that many VP roles. And I have to do it in moments of a day over a virtual device rather than hours in person, right? right? And so I think what we refer to as culture really needs a definition change. And we were already bad at culture to begin with. Like, let's, let's also be honest, right? We weren't, it's not like we were banging culture just out of the park. Right. <laughs> we were already trying to build something that, that people wanted to work with. And now everything's changed and we haven't got a clue what we're doing. Right. Um, so I agree, Paul. I think I think culture is is darn near impossible to build. Um, and, and really, like most companies fail at their at their own, you know, culture and culture value statement. Right. Um, even if we just take values and say the values provide guardrails, most companies fail miserably at those values. And bad leaders make it worse. Right. Musk comes in, kills off 50% of the team, then forces the other 50% to sign a document in 24 hours that they're willing to work 80 hours a week. Which most of them didn't sign. So the, <laughs> right. the, the, the estimation is 87% of people, people who worked at, at Twitter the day they were, the day uh, Elon Musk took over will no longer work at Twitter when the clock runs out on, those, on that letter. <laughs> right. So right. that's that's just creating more negative vibes through not just Twitter, but the rest of sort of IT organizations. Well, and then Meta laid off a bunch of people and Amazon laid off a bunch of people and insert yeah. name of company laid off a bunch of people, right? Kind of everyone's doing these massive layoffs and it went from we can't find good people to now there's a now there's a bunch of people and I don't know how to tell if they're any good. Right. And right. I still can't afford them. That's the irony. Co- correct. <laughs> correct. And they came from the highest paid companies on the planet and so i still can't afford them right right uh it's be a really good time to build some awesome consulting companies right you know what i mean like i'd just be i'd be scooping those people up and shoveling them into the into the yeah, consulting company bucket, right? bcg from zero to nothing right yeah. right in like a weekend you know <laughs> right um and i could effectively do it with no mbas it'd be amazing be the greatest consulting company ever built. <laughs> all practitioners, all, all practitioners, all practitioners. No, no recent grad students building the same PowerPoint decks. Like, it'd be, it'd be amazing. You could, you could rule the world in three years. So the hmm, first one was culture, and I agree. 
that feels like an insurmountable task at the moment. I'm not saying it's not solvable, but it's tough. The second one being diversity. Yes, we have a goal. Yes, we have a wish. Yes, we want this to be true. But also, yes, I don't have a plan. Yes, I don't have a program. Yes, I don't really know what to do if somebody told me I had to do it. Right. So now what? Yep. What's, what, what's my plan? Because I don't have a plan. Yeah, DIE is, or DEI, diversity, equality, inclusion, is, yep. is uh, I find it more insurmountable than culture. Right. Um, ultimately, I can only pick from the resumes that I get. Ultimately, I can only like, like, like I'm still limited. I'm still bound. And, and it's not like there's well-known excluded pools of, of potential employees. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, it's not like it's not like everybody gathers in three locations based on their on the facets of DEI. And we only shop from one. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like, I, I well. Is, is LinkedIn all like white Asian males? Like, like, is it exclusionary to, to people of color and, and females? Like, if it is cool, where, where do those people go? Cause obviously I'm not one of them. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, and, and, you know, like all of this is, you know, um, so just tell me where to go. Like, I, like I'm, I'm happy to change the recruiting, but no one has a good method. No one has a good system and no one has any really kind of good answers. Work, work is the only answer, but that's not really a good answer. I can still only, I can still only process the information that I get. Yep. Right. And, and even if I say that most of us CIOs are not CIO of major organizations in Silicon Valley, right? We're not getting 20,000 applications per role. We're getting five. And, and I don't have a chief DEI <laughs> officer. Right. right, like, like I don't have an executive level position for diversity. Sure, a- HR has a diversity uh, movement, and 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 we have a diversity value. But ultimately, I still have the same problem. How do I recruit people that are diverse if my current pool of applicants isn't? Mm-hmm. Right. How do we know? Is it just that they're not applying? Or that they're not passing all the gatekeepers so they can be hired. Like I was invited to a panel last week specifically on that topic, but on the media side, because of the sure. podcast and everything that I do. And that was part of the topic. Is it that we're not going through all the gates? Or is that people don't think that they can get to those? executive positions because of their race, their color, their language? Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't th- and I don't think anybody really knows. Right. I mean, I, I will say, I think a lot of the gates are stupid. Because I know, right? Right, I'm looking at it. And if I remember correctly, you're half Mexican. I am Puerto Rican. Uh, I am, I am, I am half Mexican by marriage only. So, right. It, it, my, my, You're not biologically Mexican, is what you're saying. That is that is correct. <laughs> I, I grew up I grew up in a Mexican family, right? As okay. one of as one of three very very white people. <laughs> right. You're you're culturally Mexican, but not by yeah. So you're one of us. Correct. Correct. Andale mano. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, unless we want this to to totally degrade into the worst possible Spanish in the world. <laughs> I think we should probably keep, I think we should probably re- retain the current language. Uh, but, but it's a big freaking problem, right? But, but the gates themselves are a big problem, right? I will give you an example. Not so long ago, I applied for a job that was exactly the job I held at Hitachi. They wanted someone to come in and build an enterprise architecture team for a pre-sales organization. It sounds like something you could do. Right. To which I said, here's everything I've done. And oh, by the way, I did exactly that. And here were the results within the first year because I had that, that dashboard. Right. Uh, and they said, we've decided to go a different way. That was yeah. the totality of the communication. And I'm like, uh, while I get it, I'm not, I'm, not, like, I'm not butthurt about it. I don't actually care. At right. the same time, how many people in this country have exactly that experience? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's got to be like three. Right. 
Right. And maybe that, that they could, the three. Well, that could possibly even be inter- willing to interview at the same time. Like, shouldn't you interview them? Right. You know what I mean? Like, like if somebody goes, no, I have exactly the experience that, that, that you're looking for in a really narrow field. Shouldn't you just go, that might be worth a call. I'm not <laughs> right. positive. You know what I mean? Which tells me that the gatekeeping that's going on is so much greater than just that, that, that fits under diversity. Right. Right. Um, and that diversity layered on top of that doesn't help. Right. The, the gatekeeping that happens on top of that does not help. Yeah. Um, that makes it significantly harder. I can't, you know, I couldn't imagine going through the standard bullshit gates that are obviously aren't helping only to end up with additional bigotry gates on top of it. But that's outside in. What Carlos, I think, was talking about was inside up. Right? How are we looking at our own sort of bias, conscious or unconscious, to say, how do I ensure that the varying degrees of leadership levels have the appropriate thought and demographic diversification that matters to the organization? Are we putting enough emphasis in ensuring those things happen, even if what's coming outside in is hurting the situation, not helping the situation? Sure. So, okay. So, but, but I think now it's just amplification. If 5% of my workforce qualifies for 20% of my workforce qualifies for DEI globally, and 10% or 5% of that is in IT, right? Um, what do I do if I have no candidates that have leadership skills, qualities, or interest? That's because that's often what I'm faced with, right? right? Okay, I got one role I can promote to. I have no one other than, you know, like ninety percent of the organization is the same people we currently have in leadership. And yep. of the ten percent, that ten percent, there's no one that's qualified, even remotely qualified for the role. And I don't mean, you know, like like I, I like the seventy percent bar, right? If you're going to get promoted, the most qualified candidate you could possibly be is 70%, right? Right. Because you need to be able to grow into the role. Otherwise, if it's hundred percent, you're already ready for the next role. What's, what's the point? Right. Right. As long as Um, we're checking the bias box, right. We're saying, am I looking at these candidates fairly through a lens outside of my own experience? Because sometimes that's the least appropriate lens. I don't know these five people because they're three levels below me. It's hard to really tell whether they're ready or not. For for sure. But if I'm actively looking for to increase the, the, the quantity of perspectives I get, and that's tends to be the way that I look at that, right? I'm actively looking to get different, different perspectives. So I'm actively looking for people with different perspectives when those roles come up. And I find zero people qualified, even to say the 40th percentile for the role. Like it's, it is in fact an outside in problem far more, I think than it is an inside up problem inside mm-hmm. up. There's so little I can do about, I, I can change me, but if the candidate still doesn't exist, I, I don't know what to do. Right. right. And, and my job can't be solely focused on DEI, which is what it would take to turn candidates that are, you know, 20% qualified into candidates that are 50% qualified to then open roles that fit the candidates to promote, to then continue. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I can't, a CIO can't be a full-time mentor. It can't be our full-time job. And that's kind of what would have to happen to do that. Or you'd have to change every leader to have 25% of their time being mentoring those specific people so that we could create those candidates. And I'm not sure that, that I'm not sure anyone has 25% of their time. You know what I mean? So, so, so I'm not saying I have any answers and I'm not, I'm certainly not saying what we have is good enough, nor, nor do we just do nothing. Right. So again, another challenge without obvious answers, but if we don't fix, it's going to lead to future significant future problems, which, which leads us to the third challenge, which I wasn't convinced until I heard 11 other people in the room tell me it was true. Right. I actually wasn't convinced at the start of that dinner that, there was such a huge gap between the CIO and CTO and the next CIO and CTO in that team. I am now way more convinced. I'm way more convinced that not only is there is an experiential gap between those two, between the set of VPs that they might be reporting to them and the CIO, 
but that the expectation of the CIO has changed so dramatically in the last five years that it would be difficult for anybody to catch up to that responsibility. In fact, the existing CIOs are having a hard time catching up to being that new role set, let alone having other people do that. And if A, do you believe that's true? And B, is there anything we can do about it? Um, oh, so, so there was a lot of A, do I believe that's true? Like okay. There was so many no, things good. you brought up. So hang on, I'll, I'll address them. But, but I think the answer is yes, just blanketly. <laughs> Right. And then I and then I think if we break them down. Right. OK, so um, existing CEOs living up to the the new expectations of CEO, is that hard? And are they are they in the 70th percentile? And I think the answer is it is it is hard. And no, they're not in the 70th percentile. Right. Um, there are a lot of terrible CIOs and CTOs um, that are struggling to, to really understand what it means to be a CIO and a CTO today. Right. Right. Um, and they were perfectly good five years ago or 10 years ago in that role. Um, but the role has changed. And then, and, and then the people have also changed, right? Like you could, you, maybe you spent the, the last 15 years of your career preparing for a CIO role that no longer exists. And once you got your shot, you stepped into it and went, uh, this is no, 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 no. I signed up to be the GM of a baseball team. I don't know shit about football. Right. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden you're, just, <laughs> you're, you're managing a football team, right? Like, like it's the Ted Lasso problem. <laughs> right good callback and 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 the reality is ted lasso was good at it because ted lasso is a phenomenal leader right and that kind of brings me to to to, to the one thing that i that, that that we talk about a lot right we don't spend enough time fostering leadership skills mm -hmm. right we need more ted lassos in this world right ted lasso spends zero percent of his time actually concerned about the game of football Right. Why? Right. Because he doesn't, he doesn't even know the rules. He has no clue. And, and he's fine with it. He's super right. comfortable with saying, no, I don't know what that is. Right? Like, like you know, Ted, can you explain the offside rule? No, I'm still looking for someone who can explain it to me. <laughs> right? He doesn't go, he doesn't try to make something up. Nothing. He just goes, no, no, no. Like, Beard knows the offside rule. Right. Right? Like, everybody else knows the offside rule. What's one more person who knows the offside rule going to help? Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and yet somehow we think CIO should know the offside rule. Right. Why, why? Right. It's cool that they do, but how about they know the leadership part first? Right. How about they know the thing that's most critical and, and no one's really defined what the most critical is. Right. So I'm going to say today, the most critical is you're a really good leader and mentor. Those two things, they're, they're very different, but somewhat complementary. So, so let's say the, the most important thing is you're a really good leader and mentor. There are people that can do everything else, right? You don't need to be the most fiscally conservative person or the fiscally conscious person. You have an office of the CIO, which has a CFO in it to do that job. Yeah. Trust that they know how to do their job. Lead and mentor spectacularly well. Then communicate across and take communication across. So communicate what the value is of IT and the things that you're working on to the business and listen to the business about what they say is important to them in general and specifically within the realm of technology. What do they wish te technology could accomplish for them? CIOs are terrible at that. CTOs, terrible at that. CISOs, even worse, right? Learn to communicate up so that your CEO is confident and your board is confident in what you know how to do. And that would probably solve 90% of the, of the, of the kind of CIO challenge and the, and the uncertainty about what to do as a CIO. And then the second part then is, do we have anyone that's the next CIO after us, right? Do we have a, a leader in waiting? Well, if I don't do the first part, how could I possibly ever do the second part? You know what I mean? Or do you think that's the rub? that we've spent 40 years in this practice of being a CIO and CTO, being a master of the art, right? Having a really deep understanding of what it means to run and operate IT and spending far less time, there are exceptions, but far less time on non-IT leadership skills that now that it's a requirement for the role, Right now that I'm asked to do things that are way outside of the IT domain and participating at the executive council, 
that I should be doing that, but I don't have those skills. <laughs> it's not what I do. I'm not Ted Lasso. I am Beard. Right? I am what it, that new dude. What's what's the uh, the the ex footballer? Nate the Great or or Roy Kent? Roy. Yeah, I'm Roy. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I'm the best footballer in the world, <laughs> or at least I was, right? And that's where I spend my quality time. That's not creating another assistant coach. Right? That's, not, that's not creating a replacement for Ted. So how um, do I obtain well, that but, skill but, if I'm Roy? But I would actually argue that, 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 that Beard was not creating that replacement for Ted. Hmm. Right? Beard could never be Ted Lasso, but the reason, and neither could Nate the Great. Right. Nate right. could never be Ted Lasso. Right. But that's why Beard or that's why Roy Kent works, because Roy actually could be the next Ted Lasso. You think. Right. So? And if you I absolutely do. If you look Watch at the show, that. like that sounds interesting. that's why he was given. Uh, so for those who haven't who aren't caught up on all things Ted Lasso, Spoiler welcome alert. to an welcome to a new Ted Lasso podcast. Uh, so, so Ted Lasso is a TV show on uh, Apple TV Plus. Uh, as the holidays are coming up, and you're probably likely to spend more time at home and have a little bit more free time, sign up for a free trial. Watch it. You can watch both seasons in seven days. It's no problem. You will want to watch both seasons in seven days. Matter of fact, you might watch both seasons in three days and then rewatch both seasons in the next three days. I, <laughs> I promise you, it is that good. Um, so, t- the 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 fundamental of Ted Lasso is Ted Lasso gets hired as the head coach. Uh, uh, manager of a premier football league team in the UK. Ted Lasso's coaching experience has only ever been at the amateur level. He took a, like a, a D series college football team to their first ever national championship, got some internet fame for how they celebrated. Ted knows nothing about football, about soccer, nothing. I mean, nothing. Um, he gets, he's never coached at any level, amateur or pro. Um, and he takes over and, and he's in the UK. He's never even been to the UK. Right? He's never been to England in his, in his entire <laughs> life. Knows very little to nothing about it. Um, and he's this fish out of water. And normally you would laugh at him. Like we always laughed at Mr. Bean. We always laughed at everyone put in that situation, right? Um, yeah. When Monty Python did a skit, Fish Out of Water, you laughed at the fish. Right. And so you think you're going to laugh at the fish. And you know what you never do? You never actually laugh at the fish. You laugh at everyone around him that doesn't get that this is actually the right fish. Right. Right. This is actually Everything the fish he's they doing is correct. 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 Yeah. And and you 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 almost immediately come along and then you watch as others start to come along as well. Um, one of those characters, so Beard is his assistant coach. Beard comes along with him, and Beard has a beard. I don't I'm not sure if it's his real name and he grew a beard so that it matched. <laughs> Or if they just changed his name to Beard because he had a beard and it was glorious. <laughs> uh, either way, his name is Beard. Beard is incredibly quiet, incredibly thoughtful, and incredibly knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Right? So he's definitely his right-hand man. When he's got a question about how to play the game, he turns to Beard and says, how do I admit it? <laughs> right? And then there's this, this uh, kid who's like a kind of groundskeeper assistant to the team. Does the towel boy thing, that, that, all that sort of stuff, called Nate. And he nicknames him Nate the Great. And he's the first person to really acknowledge Nate. Um, and he fosters Nate and, and listens to Nate, someone that no one ever listened to before. Um, and then he fosters Roy Kent. And Roy Kent is the captain of the team when the whole thing starts. And Roy's been around forever and ever and ever. Um, and is a you know, top-level player who's late in his career. Right. Like he's a Cal Ripken Jr. He's a, um, you know, he's a Babe Ruth. He's a Mickey Mantle. He's a Joe DiMaggio. But think about him after they went to the three teams they were really good at. And it was that last team. That's where Roy Kent is at. And there's a one particular thing. Spoilers. Spoilers. There's one particular episode where um, Ted gives everyone a book to read. And it's a book that he picked for their personality. And he gives Roy Kent a wrinkle in time. And A Wrinkle in Time is about a girl who has leadership thrust upon her, whether she's ready for it or not, and has to grow into being a leader because she's been selected as the leader. And, and it's, it's, it's the foreshadowing of everything that's going to come. It's the foreshadowing that, that Roy is not just the captain because he's the best. Roy is the captain because everybody else looks to him. And because everybody else looks to him, he is a leader. And thus, that has to be fostered. 
right? And 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 Ted does it in a way that that Roy's not really comfortable with. It's not really Roy's kind of way to to lead, but Roy doesn't like being a leader anyhow. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I would say that that yes, Roy Kent is absolutely the the GM in waiting. Like I would be, I would not be surprised if the entire show ends, which it's either th- set, set for three seasons or four seasons. I think it's three, and then the show's over. I, I would not be surprised if if when it ends, Roy Kent is left as GM of a, of, a, of what is effectively but a the, brand new. I guess team. my point is, is there's still work to do out of the box. Sure. It wouldn't have been true. There is a gap between Ted and Roy. Sure, but 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 we also don't work in fantasy land, right? Like <laughs> like we don't work in like Santa Claus the movie where Santa Claus trains his apprentice and then determines it's time for his apprentice to take over Santa Claus and he retires. Right. You know what I mean? Like like I don't know of any CIO that's planned their retirement around when their mentor was ready to take the role or planned their next role around when their mentor was ready to take the role. Right, but what's more likely to be true in the current situation that a CIO gets replaced by an external CIO or an external or a CIO gets replaced by someone he's mentored to be the CIO? Oh no, external CIO almost every time. But that's the problem. That's what I'm trying to highlight here is that we're not doing enough to ensure that those next level can in fact become CIOs. And that has um, to be a concentrated effort on your part, not just a side gig. But it also has to be something the board sees and this, like, like what is the chance that the CEO is going to be external if replaced right. or the COO or the CEO, you know, C whatever O is going to be replaced by someone internal, or is it far more likely they're going to hire a professional CEO to take the place of the former professional CEO, right? Like, like we have to fundamentally change the culture of the company to, to enable that first. And that really should be what we're doing. Right? How many companies have you seen steered wrong because they brought in a CXO that didn't understand what the hell the company really did, how it was built, what the culture was, how it operated, and just came and made sweeping changes, lasted two years, and then left? Disney, yeah. Every, every, like every <laughs> big company. You're con- we're constantly seeing, you know. Chappick and I agree. It, it is be- yeah, it has become a joke that CIOs last two years. Right. They come in, they make a bunch of changes. It seems good. And they go to another place that pays them more money. And then the kind of, then the, the, you know, the ball drops as it were, mm-hmm. right. The, the music stops and you're found and you found you have no musical chairs left. And so the next kid comes in and goes, well, this is, this is messed up, makes a whole bunch of changes, right. They seem good immediately. And then they're out in less than two years. Why? Because the person before them left nothing sustaining. So they leave nothing sustaining. So now I've got two things that aren't really sustaining. And the third person comes in. And then, and, and last even shorter, right? Because we're not really building this to be sustaining. And if from the beginning, the board said, no, 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 no. We're going to let this person go, but we're going to promote someone from within. And hey, let's hire an external C- CIO, someone who is a professional CIO, to not actually hold the reins, but to just mentor this CIO. Just get them up to the point where they are, in fact, the CIO. And then we let them go. Right. So that we've got a good CIO that knows what they're doing. Right. Hire right. a professional mentor, build a CIO. Hire a professional mentor, build a CTO. Why is that not the method that we're using? Wouldn't that be a better method? I was going right. to ask question. Probably still takes two years. Right. Like a junior role, like we have on the technical side, but on the leadership side, so we can grow. Like you were saying, that there's knowledge from within the company that an external person don't have. Should there be like a junior type position that is building them up to go to that next level? And it's not just at the higher end because you need to have all the knowledge to be that top leader. But do you really? Like you don't have to have that knowledge. They've proven it over and over again by bringing in external CIOs. But they they have none of the tribal knowledge when they come in. Right. But that's why we have the problems that we have. If we no, 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 I know. To- I know, but that's that's my point, right? Don't set junior roles. Don't bring in an external CIO. Promote the person the closest and bring in a professional mentor. Right. Okay. To bridge yeah. the gap, right? You're on a two-year contract. You're a professional CIO. You're on a two-year contract not to be CIO, but to make this person a successful CIO. Right. And then you do the same thing you would have before if you would have been brought in. It's It's effectively not changing anything except... You're not creating a house of cards. You're creating a dynasty. 
And right? you're, so you, you can take bigger risks. You don't have to wait for the 70% person. You can get the 40% person and correct, give them two correct. years of mentorship. Yeah. So correct. where do you, you can... find that person that you're going to bring to coach that CIO or that CTO? Well, let me introduce you to the Sweet Spot Consulting, <laughs> where <laughs> Paul Lewis and Howard Holton will happily take their decade plus of experience and help mentor the right person that has the cultural knowledge to be that person within your organization. Yeah. I mean, I'm throwing that out there now. Like, and, and the, the three of us would have no problem finding more mentors to do that. Right. Certainly. Right. Like, like uh, some, if someone showed up, my, up at my door and said, we'd uh, like right now today, I'm happy to be a part-time CXO. There's a ton of companies that don't need a full-time CIO. They don't need a full-time CTO. They don't need a full-time CISO, but they need someone that has the experience of that office to handle the strategic tasks, to turn it over to really good practitioners that exist within the organization. Happy to do that for you today. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, for the record, it's paid. I don't do anything for free. <laughs> There's only so much volunteer time I have left. Right. But, but, but like, the, la the, the number of companies looking for that is, is growing, but it's very, very small because they don't really know what they need, right? Like CEOs don't really know what they need and, and the employees do themselves a disservice, right? Look, if you're like a 27-person company, you're not actually the CIO, <laughs> right? But it's very, very, very hard to truly be the CIO of a 27-person company, right? Right. Um, and you don't really do yourself any good saying you're a CXO, a CIO, and then going to an organization that has a real CIO role. Right. right. You're better off being a senior director. Right. You're better That's off right. being a director. Um, it's, it's going to serve you far, far better to be a role appropriate uh, kind of across the, you know, across any level of equality so that that turns into something else of value elsewhere. Um, and, and, and I promise you, like, if you're, if you're the CIO and you never do any CIO stuff ever, um, and then you, you like throw that on your resume and you go out and try to be CIO somewhere else. And you get in a couple of interviews at the director level, they're going to go, yeah, you're not really a director either. Um, plus you had the CIO role. So I know you're going to want to crawl and climb through the organization. I'm not, I'm not going to bother with you. Right. Right. You, you're just going to exclude yourself. Um, and so, so not in I, your best interest. no, no, it's really not. Right. Um, and that doesn't mean all CIOs are the same either. Right. Paul, you and I couldn't be more different as CIO. It doesn't <laughs> change the fact that we're both very good CIOs. We're just different right. CIOs. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I wouldn't go mentor someone at a financial services company. I, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, like, like they have a different set of problems. So there's not likely where I'm going to go. Right. But we know um, someone that. <laughs> we, know, we know we know many people that that could fill these roles right it's not just yeah. paul and i um that that you know have had that experience um but i think companies really need to start thinking about that really need to start looking at that and really start thinking about what do i have what's the most important what's the most valuable and i will tell you right now um if 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 companies don't really double down on figuring out how to get longevity in the executive's seats um it's going to do nothing but continue to cause problems Right. I'd be shocked if we couldn't add stability and the growth that companies are looking for simply by by making by putting a long term strategy and stability in those seats. Right. Knowing that the role isn't going to change humans in two years. Right. right. But knowing that structure, decision making, <clears throat> uh, guardrails, somebody's thinking about what those mean and helping the acting CIO get to the point where they've implemented them. Right. Right, to say, hold on a second, like grabbing them by the shirt, right? Say, you're about to fall here. Yep. Note this thing in front of you now. All right, now I'm going to let you go. Walk over it. Yep. Yeah, and it probably isn't any more expensive, right? All in all, right? First off, professional CXOs, right? Those that are hired to take those roles from company to company are extremely, incredibly expensive. Promoting someone from within is almost always cheaper. Of course it is. They just don't have that expectation, that same expectation of remuneration. Yeah. And so the first year, I would argue, sure, it might be more expensive. But in the second year, right? Like, let's say the first year, you need that pro CIO 100% of their time. Right. That's reasonable. Fine. 
The second year, you need them 70% of their time. The mm-hmm. third year, you need them 25% of their time. You know what I mean? And so you right. kind of, you can kind of cross the, the chasm by going, you know, I don't give the, the new CIO, right? The person I've promoted from within a hundred percent of the pay bump. Like I grow them into the role. And as I grow them into right. the role and I pull money away from hours on the consulting, I add money to their bucket so that by the time the transition's done, right? That advisor CIO has moved on to their next gigs, right? And the, yep. and the new CIO is capable of doing the job and likely doing it at about 60% of what you would have paid a professional CIO. Yep. You know? And significantly better than they would have had you left them on their own. Or, or hired a professional CIO who's only going to be there for two years. Right. Right. Now you have someone that's likely come up through your organization, been there 10, 12, 15 years, knows the organization, knows the players real well, right? Um, earned, did the work, earned the promotion, and now has the knowledge and the experience necessary to, to be the expert that you need, right? Be that 70th percentile. You're not going to get to 100% in two years. There's too much. It's too big a job. It's too big a role. But you can get to 70%, which is where you need them to be. Right. Right. And at the same time, if you use the right consulting organization to do it, they're also going to go, hey, by the way, it's more than just a CIO problem. Let's look at your operating model. Right. Let's look at your ways of doing business. Let's look at your at your strategy and your capabilities and make sure that you've got a good map and a good strategy for the next five years. Put that in place. And maybe you retain them. Maybe you keep them on at 10 or 20 percent, you know, for the rest of those five years um, and use them as a trusted advisor. Right. But that's really the kind of thing that I would start doing. It'd be a, it, it would be a huge cost savings. It'd be a massive benefit. It would add a whole lot of structure and it fulfills the promise you make when you hire people, which is you will have a future here. And it says no future is off the, off the table. Right. It may not be available to everyone because you have one CIO. You know what I mean? You don't have 70. Um, but, it, but, it, but it is possible that it is retained by someone that actually started you know, at, at, at you know, seven levels down or four levels down. Right? And even if you augment it slightly to say, not only is this person going to help you with this acting CIO, but also their second in command, like you're the three of you are working together. You actually sure. are not only creating the future CIO, but the future, future CIO. Correct. Correct. And you're program. establishing a cultural pattern that will continue long after they're gone. <laughs> right. Right. Because that becomes part of the job. Right. Creating your second in command should be part of the job. Pa- Paul, Paul, you have the same problem with people saying they don't have a second in command that I do. It's the first thing I do when I go to an organization. I know who my second in command. Literally, that's the first thing I do. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And and there's never a question. Right. Like I make it clear in my in my leadership meetings who my second in command is. Right. It's just I'm sitting clear. beside me. Correct. Correct. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, Carlos, we went very long on this one, but I think it was pretty helpful. Yeah, this, this is an interesting topic. And make sure that you go to the sweetspotconsulting.com and you actually sign up so we can go and help you to build that team. So you can grow. And make sure you subscribe. So we'll see you on our next episode.